It's a good day. Eight days till Christmas. Woo! <laughs> this is the season of carols. Have you noticed that? Uh, I don't know about you, but I've, uh, I'm, I'm, this is the confession time. Okay, I'm probably a, considered a Facebook stalker. I very, very seldom put anything on Facebook, but I don't know if you've noticed, but you get two categories of people on Facebook around this time, people that love carols or people that hate carols. You hear about the stories of people going into shops, and of course, I don't know if you've noticed, like from the very first day of December, some of the shops, you go to Walmart, and it's like, it's the season to be jolly, you know, and there's people like, Hey man, embrace this. Listen, carols for the first time. Yay, Christmas is coming. People get their shopping buggies, you know, like going around. Oh, it's a season. No, 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 after you. Come, come. No, you sure? Sure. Oh, you want that? No, fine. Take it, take it. No worries. It's a season. And then as the month goes on and we get closer to Christmas, I don't know if you've been into Costco recently. <laughs> becomes, we wish you a Merry Christmas. Get on, we wish you a Merry Christmas. <laughs> but we're kind of all gearing up for a season, right? And the title of my message this morning is Joy to the World. We sang about it this morning, the first Christmas carol we've sung here. Every family has their Christmas traditions. I remember Glenn telling me the story of when she was a little girl on Christmas Eve, the family would get together to all sing Christmas carols. And the one year, she asked them if they could sing the one about the tool shed. And her family looked a little bit puzzled and was like, uh, the tool shed, Christmas carols, um, don't quite get it. And she said, you know the one, once in Royal David's city stood a lowly cat tool shed. <laughs> But we all have our traditions, right? In fact, how do you know that Christmas carols were written so many years ago? Well, can you imagine the health, safety, and equality considerations that would have to be taken into account today for Christmas carols? I mean, it's become a thing, right? On media, imagine it. Just think about it. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. Imagine social services will visit and may remove any child to a place of safety pending further action against parents or other persons who may be found to be guilty of negligence by not providing adequate bedding and shelter for a child. That would probably be the new cycle around that carol if it was written today. What about while shepherds washed, watched, not washed, watched their flocks by night? The Union of Shepherds has complained that it breaches health and safety regulations to insist that shepherds watch their flocks without appropriate seating arrangements being provided. Therefore, benches, stools, and orthopedic chairs must be made available. Shepherds have also requested that due to the inclement weather conditions at this time of the year, they should watch their flocks via CCTV cameras. And please note, the angel of the Lord is reminded that before shining his or her glory, glory all around, she or he must ascertain that all shepherds have been issued with glasses capable of filtering out harmful effects of UVA and glory. <laughs> we three kings of Orient are bearing gifts we traverse afar. Whilst the gifts of gold is still considered acceptable as it may be redeemed at a later date, 
Gifts of frankincense and myrrh are not appropriate due to the potential risks of oil and fragrances causing allergic reactions. <laughs> a suggested gift alternative would be to make a donation to a worthy cause in the recipient's name or perhaps a gift voucher. Please note, per the guidelines from the RSPCA, the camels, require, the camels carrying the three kings will require regular food and rest breaks. And face masks for the three kings are advisable due to the likelihood of dust from camel hooves. <laughs> In fact, the context of carols, the word carol comes from a French word, and it was used to represent a circle dance sung at festivals. It wasn't originally Christian. Carols were not originally Christian by nature. They were just more festival-related. And this was around the time that the Puritan movement in the life of the church was in full swing. And some of the reformers, they were considered in those days the troublemakers in Christian circles, started to realize that the context of, Christ, of, of carols was one of joy and celebration. And they thought, man, hey, we need such songs like this for us. We need some songs that redeem this for us. And in fact, the Roman Christians would sing them in order to witness and to convert their pagan brethren to come to, yeah, to follow Christ. The songs about Jesus' birth had their origins in the Roman Christian times, and they were declarations of great joy. And it's in that context that joy to the world we look at this. This was written by, this carol actually was written by a guy called Isaac Watts in 1719. He was a bit of a character. He had actually taken a piece of music from Handel. You've all heard of Handel's Messiah, right? But Handel was a great musician. He took a piece of music from Handel and put words to it, and, and that's where we get joy to the world from. And he was a bit of a rebel in his day. He was considered a reformer. He followed in his dad's footsteps. His father was also one of these guys that was shaking up Christian circles at that time. And in fact, he'd been in jail twice for having been a person that had kind of what they considered in those days extreme theological ideas. He was also, Isaac Watts was actually also a logician, not a magician, a, logic, a logician, a master in the art of logic. In fact, Yale, Harvard, Oxford, and Cambridge for a hundred years used Isaac Watts' textbook on logic as the basis to teach logic in those universities. He lived in a time, and this is important, he lived in a time where people were denying the authenticity and the need for God. They were instead talking about bringing into being a state of utopia. And they weren't talking about utopia being a perfect place. What they considered utopia to be was a place where there was no need for interference or reference to a God figure. Doesn't that sound a bit like today, hey? How much of our world today is governed by people wishing that they could just take God out of the equation? This period was called the Enlightenment. However, people in that time failed, as today, to recognize that the true light Jesus had already come. And so we look at joy to the world, and we think, wow, this Christmas carol, amazing declaration of the coming of Jesus into the world as a baby. But wrong, it wasn't. It wasn't actually written about Jesus' birth. If you read through 
that whole song, there's nothing about a manger, baby, stables, anything like that. It was a declaration of, of it was written as an apocalyptic, triumphant song heralding the second coming of Jesus. And it's been adopted and sung about his birth, but actually it was much bigger than that. And I want, to read, I want us to read Psalm 98 because it's actually based off Psalm 98, Joy to the World. And so let's just read it together. It's an amazing psalm. It says this, O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth, and I've just lost my place, all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of the melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. The incredible theme in this psalm is this. Why joy to the world, church? Well, there's a triumphant declaration in the psalm of the righteousness of Christ that triumphs over judgment. It's unbelievable. The fact that today there is a God that we serve who is a righteous God. He's not just a God that's lording it over us, trying to get us to do his bidding, but he's a righteous God, and his righteousness triumphs over judgment. That first bit says, his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and reveals his righteousness to this na the nations. Here's a quick thought around this before we look at joy to the world specifically. His righteousness not our unrighteousness has been revealed. Guys, there should be some amens to that if we think about that. God has revealed his righteousness. He has concentrated, he's chosen to focus on him and what he brings, not on our failings and our weaknesses and what we could never do. God does not pursue us to condemn us. Religion does that. <laughs> but God pursues us to reveal his righteousness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his mercy to us. It is his righteousness, which means we have no part to play in it. Aren't you happy about that today? I tell you, I've got joy about even that fact today. Man, if I had to do anything, I would fail before I even started. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for us. Jesus has done the work of salvation for us. But we must not forget that the work was not cheap for Jesus. The price of salvation was not cheap, yet sometimes we treat it cheaply. So in this context of that psalm, I want us to look at this theme of joy to the world. And I just want to ask four simple questions this morning. It's not a huge in-depth preach, but I trust that it gets us thinking. This is the season where suddenly a lot of people just become up in their their manners, and it's wonderful. But the first question I want to ask, and this is it, our lives as believers, and, and let me make this statement before I go into those questions. 
our lives as believers should be a triumphant declaration, evident through joy, but so often our, our lives don't look like that as believers. So here's the four questions. The first one I'm gonna ask is what brings, and this is just to help us think around the subject, what brings joy to our world? You know, if you look at it, you probably could categorize how we go through life, and there's probably three things that you could categorize things into. The first is stuff, or things, or material things. You know, the cars, the houses. Some people try to find joy. Some of us may, even if we're honest with ourselves, have looked back over time and think, yeah, you know, we've I've tried to find joy in that. The second thing that people go through is just people, relationships, trying to find joy. You know, if I just have that perfect person on my arm, man, I'm gonna be the happiest guy in the whole world. You know, or if my family were like this, or if we can just be like that as a family, or if we have those friends, we try and find joy in that place. The third thing is experiences. Experiences, such as like holidays, you know, maybe it's birthday celebrations, maybe it's, yeah, what, what are we gonna do the next time we're on a break? These three categories, if you think about it in our world, so much of what we go through in life fits into one of those three categories. And none of the above things are bad. However, they have the ability to provide happiness, but not a platform for true joy. And the reason is because of this, they can be taken away, they are fleeting, they are sometimes even unobtainable. I wanna do an illustration, you know, it's like stacking chairs. You may get a chair, let's just pretend, pretend one of these chairs, this is the chair of a Mexican holiday. Who wants to go on a Mexican holiday, eh? Woo, I do. Nothing wrong with that, but I think I'll get this Mexican holiday and that's gonna provide me joy, man. Oh, awesome, and then I've done the holiday, but then it starts to wane because I've gotta go back to work. Right, and then I think, oh, okay, what, you know what, if I just had a great friend and we stack that on top of the Mexican holiday, trying to think, okay, this will bring me joy, and we get the friend, and then we think, okay, no, 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 that's worn off. Now, maybe if I had a new car, or maybe if I had a new job, or maybe if I had a government that changed so that we lived in a brilliant society with no tax, or maybe if we go on another Mexican holiday because it's now a year since the last one, or maybe if I had a better salary, a bigger salary, or I'm getting tired here, or a new pair of shoes, or a new pair of shoes, maybe if I had a new pair of shoes, or maybe if I had more friends because the last one ditched me because I didn't take him on the Mexican holiday, or maybe I have a bigger home. And what we do is we try and pile experience on experience on top of relationships, on top of things, and what ends up is a shaky platform. It's not stable, and I'm scared it's gonna fall off. Darren, please come and grab it. <laughs> Thanks, my boy. But you get it. Church, we end up stacking stuff on top of relationships, on top of experiences, always trying to believe that these things of momentary happiness are a platform of joy when they're not. So we end up always living, hoping for joy in the future, for the next trip, the next thing, the next relationship, or the next experience that will give us our happiness, and fix, happiness fix instead of finding contem, 
contentment and joy in the present. Job 20, verse 4 and 5 says, Surely you know how it has been from of old, ever since man was placed on the earth, that the mirth of the wicked is brief, the joy of the godless lasts but a moment. As opposed to Nehemiah 8, verse 10, which says, For the joy of the Lord is your strength. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. So second question, why do we look for joy? Well, to understand that, and I want to just give us a thought here, to understand the basis for why we look for joy, we need to understand God himself. See, God in himself, church, is complete. He needs nothing. God is fully content, always complete in all ways. You can't add, it's like this, you can't add anything to water to make it water. It's water already, and you can't add anything to God to complete him because he's already complete in himself. It's incorrect theology to say that God needs us. God does not need man. God created man. Sometimes we hear God created man because he was lacking something. He was lacking companionship. No, God lacks nothing. Off the back of understanding God's absolute contentment and completeness with himself, I want to refer to Genesis 1 verse 26, which is the most powerful verse in the Bible, guys. It's found in the very first chapter of the book, of the very first book of the Bible. Then God said, let us make man in our own image. Remember, God is content. He's not lacking anything. And I want to clarify that we are made in the image of God from the time we are born, not from the time we are saved. It's important that we know that, church, because we think that we have to do something to make this image acceptable in God. Well, if you did, then he wouldn't be God, and salvation would not be a freely given gift. Sin, however, has distorted the true image and has separated us from the creator. And salvation does not recreate us in the image of God. We are already made in the image of God. It just restores the relationship between creation and creator, removing that barrier of sin. So here's the logical progression. And I'm not trying to be Isaac Watts with my logic, but just hear this. Here's the logical progression. If God is perfect and complete within himself, then there is complete eternal joy and contentment within himself. True? He needs nothing to be joyful. God is complete in himself. It's like the old Chinese saying. They say, you know, uh, there's a Chinese proverb which goes something like this, that the Chinese believe that they have two stomachs in one sense. The one stomach they will have, they will eat, and they can eat vegetables and rice. I mean, vegetables and meat and dessert and anything. But the other stomach is like a rice stomach, <laughs> and unless they have rice, they will never feel full. Okay, it's like an. That's why Chinese people love rice with everything because it's just part of their culture and it's it's wonderful. But they feel like without rice in their diet, there's something lacking. 
And because we've been created in God's image, we will constantly seek for anything that will enable us to reach that place of complete contentment, joy, and satisfaction because we're designed to live like that. We're designed to be like our maker in that sense, in that we're created in his image. And man will drive himself to destruction for the sake of finding that completed joy because he's designed in the image of God to be completely content. Church, can I ask you to say this? I am designed to be completely content. I'm designed to be completely content. Do you believe that this morning? We look for joy, drugs, alcohol, perverse lifestyles, materialism, but we fail to see that there's a much easier way. My third question to us, where do we find joy? Well, the biggest problem is our default mode is to grab the first thing that gives us the slight bit of happiness and try and manufacture and produce that joy from it again and again. It's like, if I can use an analogy, it's like, have you ever seen a picture on a, a tree on a sunny day with the, with the shadow of the tree to one side? You can try and climb the tree by climbing the shadow, but you will not climb the tree by climbing the shadow. True? You've got to actually climb the tree to experience the joy of climbing the tree. We look for things by trying to climb the shadow instead of actually knowing what the tree is. See, the answer is Jesus Christ himself. Church, there's the, any of you will know about the Westminster Catechism, the wording which is so amazing. It's born out of the understanding of the following. The chief end of God is to glorify God and enjoy himself forever. Therefore, the Westminster Catechism, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy God forever. It starts out of a place of realizing that our God brings us into this incredible relationship where he says you're designed to lack nothing. Because your image is, you've been created based on my image and I lack nothing. And we cannot find joy today, church, just because a baby was born 2,000 years ago. If we stop the story there, we're gonna miss out on the fullness of the joy. We can, however, find joy in the person of Jesus Christ, not just as a baby, but listen to this, but the fact that Jesus, born of a virgin, 100% man, yet 100% God, was a sinless man who walked, talked, and lived the perfect life, died on a cross, took every sin upon himself as a perfect substitute, rose again, triumphant as Redeemer, Savior, and Lord, who today and forevermore rules supreme, which means the largest, who is He. He is most high, Lord of the heavens and the earth. He is subject to none. He is influenced by none. He he is absolutely independent. He does what he pleases, only as he pleases, always as he pleases, in perfect unity with his Father and the Holy Spirit. No one can stop him. In fact, Isaiah 46 verse 10 says, my purposes will stand and I will do all that I please. That is the reason we can have joy. Christ alone is the foundation of true joy, church. Leads me to my fourth question, how do we live constantly in the place of joy? Well, I wanna, I wanna end this meeting on this point today. And I wanna address two, two different groups of people here. 
The first group is to any of us that today are seated here and you already know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. I'm so happy that I'm in that place today. But I'm telling you, this has been a sharp wake-up call for me, church. I've been through periods where I have lost my joy. And I, I don't think one of us could stand here, if you know Jesus today, in all righteousness, stand up and say, I've never lost my joy, and I've never taken my eyes off, the, off Jesus, because we all have. I want to say, so how do we live in that constant place of joy? For, well, for this first group of people, I want to just use an illustration. I heard this the other day by somebody remembering it, reminding me of it. And there was a, do you remember any of these Saturday Night Live show? And uh, about 10 to 20 years ago, don't tell me you remember it from 20, 10 to 20 years ago. That'll give your age away. But Bob Newhart did a skit on Saturday Night Live about 10 to 20 years ago where he's playing the role of a psychiatrist. And he sits in this, op this office and this lady comes in to the office, and uh, he says, look, okay, just before we start, I want to just tell you that I charge $5 for the first five minutes, and thereafter, I'm free. So she goes, mm, okay, that's interesting, and he says, look, uh, it's not going to take long. I, I know I can help you, whatever your situation is. So she sits down and starts to talk to her. She starts to laying out her situation, and basically, the crux of her situation is that she is absolutely consumed with worry. And particularly, she's consumed with the whole thought of being buried alive in a box. And so he says, listens to the story and says, okay, no worries. I've, I've, I can help you with this. It's very easy. Uh, I can answer you and sort your problem out with just two words. She goes, okay. He says, no, no, listen. So you ready for this? So she takes out a paper and pen. So he says, no, 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 you don't need to. That's just two words. Here they are. Stop it. And she starts to, what are you talking about? She starts to rant and rave at this and eventually listens to this for a while and says, okay, look, okay, wait. I'll give you 10 words. Stop it or I'll bury you alive in a box. <laughs> but while I'm using that illustration, church, is we find ourselves as believers searching for joy in things, in experiences, and relationships. And I believe God's word to us today is stop it. And here's the answer, you see. We cannot search for something we have already found. We have already Jesus, who is the author, who is the fulfillment of joy in our lives. If you're a believer today, I want you to know that you have the very source of joy living within you. You have you and I have the source of joy. It's unshakable, it's unquenchable, it is unchangeable, and it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. Joy is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Romans 8 verse 32 says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, he, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? It's an amazing truth that we live in, folk. When we are captivated, and this is the, the closing word for this group of people, when we are captivated by the preciousness of the presence of Jesus, of him as Lord and Savior, of him as our daddy, our Abba Father, we will find our joy in him and not look for the things 
the relationships or the experience to be the source of our joy. God's not a killjoy. It's not that we don't have those things and have these moments of happiness. That's wonderful. But when we live in a world like we do today where people are looking for God, denying the existence of God, but I'm telling you, every single person who's lost is looking for God. And they look at us and the world needs to see believers that are full of joy despite circumstances. We are not living in the place of joy, not talking, and I'm not talking about trying to fake happiness, but this joy coming from the inside of us that is not, that's unshakable. Rather than searching for what we've already found, and if we search for what we've already found, the world will not see Jesus. And then the second group of people that maybe you're here today, maybe you've come to a church for the first time today. Maybe you've been invited by a friend today and you haven't yet had a personal encounter with Jesus. A personal encounter to bring you back to the realization that there's a relationship of one who created you just like created you in his own image. If you're sitting here and you don't know Jesus, I wanna say this. If you're searching for joy, in things and experiencing relationships and not finding it. Stop it. <laughs> Start searching for what you have not yet found. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Matthew 13, book in the New Testament, the first book in the New Testament, verse 45 and 46 says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a mer merchant looking for a fine pearl when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Church, if we are to make a change in our city and be a church on mission, we have to be a people that live different. Not apart, not separate, but different. We cannot do that in our own strength. We cannot do that without joy. Joy that is, comes from the inner source comes from a source that is not from our making, but from the one who created us in his image. And I'm telling you, that's what the world needs to see. And if you don't know Jesus yet, I want to just say to you, we're going to have a moment now. I've asked the worship team to sing that song, In Christ Alone, My Hope is Found. But in this place, if you don't know Jesus, I tell you what, in fact, I, wanted, I wonder if we can just close our eyes for a moment. I just really feel God's stirring something in some people's hearts here right now, right this morning. Now, we're not trying to drag anything out, and certainly this is a decision that's made not based on a call from somebody up front, but it's based on the tugging of the power of the Holy Spirit on individual hearts and lives. But I wonder with your eyes closed, I'm not gonna call you up to the front, but I do believe we have to make a stand for us that are believers here today, I want us to, I'm trusting that as we start to sing this song, many of you can come forward here to the front and we're gonna just say, God, refresh us, fill us again with an understanding of that joy. Not joy that is passive, but joy that is active despite circumstances. But if you're sitting here and you don't know Jesus, there is a time for you to make a declaration this morning. And it's a triumphant declaration because God's righteousness is here for you and it triumphs over judgment. And he wants to bring you into that relationship with him this, this morning. 
So if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I'm not gonna ask you to slip up your hand. The only reason I'm asking you to do that is so that I can pray for you and I will be in the front here and would love to share more with you if you wanna do that. But with eyes closed, if you are saying, yes, actually, I have been searching for joy in places of things, of relationships, of experiences, and I'm going through these highs and lows and I'm not finding that, I'm, and you know that there's a tugging on your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit to draw you unto himself this morning. And I wanna ask you to put up your hand and I'm gonna pray for you. Is there anybody here like that this morning? I'm not gonna draw it out, just one call. Anybody here like that? And then we're gonna stand together and, we're gonna, and I'm gonna hand over to Mike. Thank you, Jesus. 